Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. People can change anything they want to. And that means everything in the world. Show me any country and there'll be people in it. It's time to take the humanity back into the center of the ring and follow that for a time. You know, think on that. Without people, you're nothing. Without people, you're nothing. Stoke the fire. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm particularly excited about this episode. You should be too. Um, as we, you know, kind of experiment more with with the series as we we are now in series two obviously you'll know a lot of the activity and and interviews are taking place over on patreon um and thank you to everybody who's supporting us over there patreon.com forward slash stoke the fire there's already i'd say close to two dozen at this stage bonus pieces of audio and, and visual materials um so if you're not yet signed up please do at least head over to the page check out what's on offer uh, and if you feel like supporting the show, then please do make a uh, a small or indeed a large donation, whatever takes your fancy. But we we made the conscious decision, Jesse and myself, as we get further into series two, um, to allow some of the conversations which perhaps for a moment we toyed with putting on Patreon to actually exist on the public page, um, because some conversations just need to exist in the public domain. Uh, do they not, Jesse? And I believe this is definitely one of those because of the the themes we're going to get into in the conversation um it's it's very uh relatable particularly to you as a musician and somebody who's been an advocate of mental health for you know the entirety of your career but i just feel like for anybody who struggles um this is a conversation which will be hopefully of value and worth and therefore should live in the the internet as opposed to just that corner of the internet we call patreon yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I think it's it's crucial stuff. It's definitely a topic that hits home for me, and I know a topic that will hit home for a lot of people. And besides that, he's just a brilliant mind. Uh, I remember one of the better interviews I've done in a long time was with him as well. So, uh, yeah, to me, it's it's a no-brainer. This needs to be heard by more than just our Patreon folks. All right. Well, without further ado, let's welcome to the show my good friend, renowned, revered music writer, published author, uh, raconteur, runner, gentleman, scholar. Here he is, Ian Winwood. Welcome to the show, mate. Great to see you. And great to see you as well. Hi, Matt. Hi, Jesse. And hello to everyone. Uh, I don't know if they are able to watch and listen, but certainly listen. It's a, a genuine pleasure to be here. Yeah, listen and view. We, oh. we, put, we put each episode on YouTube, so you'll be on there as well. So they get to see the money shot as well as hear uh, your words good. of wisdom. Well, I thought long and hard about which shirt to wear. Honestly, I've been in the bedroom um, just now trying on trying on shirts. The book, the book we're going to talk about, or, 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 or around this, I guess, around which this will hang. There we go. Um, isn't isn't out in North America yet, but a, 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 a reader in Canada somehow got hold of a book, and he lives in Flinflon in in uh, in Manitoba, which is eight hours north of Winnipeg. 
imagine what that's like in the in the winter and he sent me his name's mark so a shout out to mark and he sent me a, a box of goodies including i like hockey so he sent me a flin flon bombers uh jersey so uh so i decided to wear that just in case we were on the we we had visuals as well that's pretty unique merch right there i don't it's know pretty, it's pretty weird. i've got my name on the back as well oh, that's uh, yeah, it is it's pretty specialist and that's just a random reader of your book that's enjoyed your work so much he's just decided to gift you with sent a care a package sent me a box for the box full of, of goodies i said i like baseball too i support the oakland athletics so he sent me some oakland athletics stuff and some flin flon bombers stuff it was very what very a nice guy very what a heartwarming act of generosity very lovely very lovely right there well first of all Ian, I, I do want to say congratulations as we begin the conversation i feel like congratulations are massively in order because i have uh seen with you know great pride and just pleasure the amount of um positive feedback that has already been swarming in from every corner of the internet i've seen lots of pictures of people holding said book uh, bodies life and death in music which we're going to talk about um and it just it warms my heart because i know how much this subject means to you on a personal level i remember when you were on my show a few years back now talking about your previous book smash which is a excellent read if anybody is a fan of 90s american punk rock then it is a essential uh book and i remember after you finished writing that you were already you know toying with the idea of of what became bodies so to see it not only come to life but to be received so so well is really um wonderful to see so congratulations mate well thank you very much for that matt i, di I didn't realize that it went back that far actually i didn't realize that I, that the idea was germinating at that point um so thank you for reminding me yeah it was i think after the conversation we'd done for my show we finished recording it i was sort of you know saying what's next for you mm. and and you yeah you said that you had this idea for a book around mental health uh, and the music industry because as much as this is a story of the music industry and the struggles that musicians and creatives within you know the the world of let's say rock because that's kind of the genre that is explored for the large part this is also your story isn't it and the struggles that you've endured the triumphs that you know as well a part of your story um because as we you know talk to you now you're a a far saner cleaner healthier human being than the man in some of these chapters in the book is that safe to say yeah that that is safe to say um it's it's i, I mean i'm i'm grateful to you matt because now when people ask me if, if how the at what point the idea came together. I actually now have a concrete starting point. I can say I mentioned it to my friend Matt because I'm sort of at a loss to, to, to quite explain how it came together. Um, the book that you referenced before, which is called Smash, which actually I had a look at this week, and in fact, is resting on this computer. So, so, so I'm at head height. So the camera <laughs> is at head height. Because it's, it's, it, it's a weighty tome, ladies it, and gentlemen. It's, it's, I've got two books. I've got Ian Kershaw's biography of Hitler and Smash. Uh, <laughs> and and I, I, I looked at it and I thought, because it was a real labor of love, that book. And, and, and it was the first ever idea I had for a book. And I looked at it and I thought... Um, this week, because 
I, I helped uh, a writer in the United States. Uh, I, I was interviewed by a writer in the United States about Green Day. And um, so, I, and he's emailed, said he'd really enjoyed the book. So I had a look at it and I thought, my God, this, I used to think it was a masterpiece. And I, I thought, my God, this writing is not up to code at, at, at all. Well, your, was, your book, you mean Smash? Smash, not, not Bodies, not Bodies, Smash, the book before. And, um, and it was really strange because it was, it was a real labour of love. And it, it was published and it was reviewed in uh, Mojo and it was reviewed in Kerrang! And, and I was interviewed in a couple of like public radio and stuff like that in the States. And then literally a week later, it was dead. It was, it was, it was just, it was just, it was solely in the past tense. And um, bodies you, 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 uh, you mentioned earlier, it's been out now for almost, well, by the time you listen that you hear this, it will probably be six months. But at the time we were speaking about just coming up for four months. And um what I thought when I was writing it is that the only chance this book has, uh, because books are published. I mean, so many, if you go into a, a, a big bookstore, it seems that everyone in the world has written a book. And and we all kind of fight for, for, for notice, of course. And I thought, well, the only shot this book has got, because I didn't get paid very much for it, uh, uh, the only shot this book has got is if I is if I really, really, really put in the work, not just on what it includes, but on the technique as well, the actual act of writing, so that when people read it, it then generates a word of mouth, mm -hmm. so that it lasts longer than six weeks. Publishes my wife Ruth. Uh, is quite a high up at at, at, uh, at Penguin, Penguin Random House, which is a, a different publisher from my own book. So I get lots of inside information about how publish the publishing industry regards writers and books. And your book is judged on its first six weeks. It's okay if it falls off a cliff after six weeks. That's that's okay because then when it comes out in a cheaper paperback edition, if it's a hardback or a, a posh paperback like mine, or if they're if you're you're submitting a proposal for another book, they will look to see how your first six weeks has done, um, and and so and you did mention Matt also that you'd noticed that lots of people and I've been I've been very fortunate lot, lots of people have tweeted about it and 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 posted about it and said things about it, which is kind of what I hoped might happen. I have to say, I have been relentless in self-promoting those tweets and those Facebook things to try and just keep it, keep the momentum going. And that's sort of what I've done. And I guess the reason, you know, we're talking, even though it's been out, I mean, it's only a few months old, don't get me wrong. It's not like I wrote it 10 years ago. Uh, and it's, you know, continuing to sell like Catch-22 or something like that. Um, but it didn't fall off the cliff. Mm. I know uh, as I'm speaking here, Matt, I'm realizing that I haven't actually answered the question that you asked me. There are no questions, Ian. So if you want Just to topics give that of conversation. Go, if, if either you or Jesse want to give that another <laughs> go, I will do my best for you. No, don't you worry about that. I mean, you raise an interesting point, but um, I think that 
what you ultimately highlight there is that the subjects here are universal and that, you know, it's still having an impact beyond its immediate release date because of the topics which are explored with excruciating and sometimes painful detail within. And I think an interesting place to jump off into the, you know, the deeper themes in the book is in the email between myself, you and Jesse in the lead up to this chat, Jesse yeah. had said, oh, we have encountered each other before. We we did this great interview and Jesse pointed out how he's in a lot better headspace now than he was then. And something that you talk about a lot in this book is how a lot of the mental damage that is done to musicians is because there is nobody around them pulling them off tour if they need to be taken off tour, giving them the aid or the help that they need. And one thing which, you know, Jesse did quite famously, I guess, and something that I bring up often and sorry to bring it up again, Jesse, but you removed yourself from the situation you were in to take care of your mental health. When you left Killswitch, you were on the road. You knew you were in a bad place. And I know you've expressed perhaps regret about the way you did it, but I think ultimately what's important is that you made that decision to remove yourself from that environment to protect and take care of yourself which so few musicians have either the courage might be too strong a word, but I don't think it is the courage or the confidence to make that decision. Because often, as Ian explores in this book, the fear is that it's going to damage the career of the band. So Jesse, maybe you could start us off by talking about the pressure that is on musicians when you're on the road and you've got an album to promote, um, the pressure that is on you know, the individuals involved to forget about their personal health in favor of you know pushing the product which is their ultimate well yeah i mean it's really all about the greater good isn't it i mean at the end of the day yeah i think the early days when i did pull the ejector seat i don't know i don't know if i'd call it courage uh for me back then it was just fear i was in a dark place i was afraid that i was going to do something stupid uh that being said the growth that i did when i came back to the band i had a lot more a ton of a lot more tools to deal with it but if I'm going to be honest with you, I think I got into a worse headspace while in the band, actually around the time that I had spoken to Ian, unbeknownst to a lot of people. Uh, I was doing a press tour and I was, you know, medicating every day to get through it. Um, that record that we talked on, which was a record called Incarnate, if you read any of the lyrics off that record, it's a pretty dark record. Mm -hmm. and a lot of it has to do with mental health. Because I had gotten to a point where I started championing myself as a mental health advocate around that time. But all that was because I was struggling. I was having a hard time. And I remember the interview that I had with you, and it took me a while to, like, I had walked away from that, like, wow, that guy was kind of inside my head a little bit. <laughs> like, he, he really got in there more so than your average interview, you know, promoting the record. And it struck me, it was like, this guy has, like, it almost freaked me out. I was pretty high on, on medical marijuana at the time we had our interview, but I remember just almost like recovering from it after. And it was kind of during that press tour, I realized how, how bad off I was. You know, mm. I did the entire press tour myself too. I had nobody there with me. Usually it was me and Adam, but the nights that I was alone on that tour, I was drinking a ton of alcohol, like numbing myself out. Um, and yeah, I've always had issues, but the road is 100% conducive to the industry. The people who are behind the bands are very much conducive to just, you just power through. You got to get through the show. Don't cancel the tour. All of those things. I think it's gotten better, but it still is definitely very much a problem because people don't realize how much 
you can get affected when you're on the road, the loneliness that can set in, the the the, the constant uh, vices being thrown at you. There's so many different levels, the broken home, the families, the being separated for months at a time. It's a powder keg waiting to explode for sure. And this topic hits home so hard for me because I have been suicidal. I've had those moments on tour where I'm drunk and I'm like, I just, I want to end it tonight. Like that's not uncommon um, for a lot of people. So this topic hits home big time for me. May I? Please, please. Yeah. Um, I, I, I realize now I, 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 the book is still ongoing because I'm writing You find me writing uh, a, a, an extra chapter for the, for the mass market paperback that's coming out next year. And it's tempting for me to view everything through the prism of what I've written. But I think one thing that has occurred to me that didn't occur to me at the time is that I, I actually didn't really know if what I was saying in the, in the sections of the book that are not about me, part of the book is, is a memoir, and it kind of weaves in and out between uh, between that and my experiences as, as as only an observer of this world of the music industry. I, I work in the music industry, but I don't earn my living from it. I earn my living from publishing, so I'm only a visitor. I'm only a fly on the wall, and I didn't know if if I I was getting this stuff right. It was uh, it was right as I saw it, but my point of view is not necessarily the correct one um i've been fortunate that lots of musicians have um seconded what i have had to say and my conclusions and my observations um and i think that perhaps it it required an outsider to say these things because i don't think apart from and jesse alluded to it there apart from in the music itself in the words of the songs themselves and if you look at those you will often find the truth but in terms of as human beings talking to the press being on stage in front of an audience musicians lack the vocabulary with which to voice legitimate complaints um, they are expected by the industry to be grateful for everything that they have. So that I see Jesse nodding, which is great. Yeah. Um, so you have that, but also they have before even arriving at the point where they are professional musicians who earn a living. Uh, you know, whether it's um, you know a band at, at, at the lower end of the economic spectrum. Uh, the Bronx, for example, I'm just plucking that out of the air, who will make a living, or whether it's the Rolling Stones, from the, from the very off, they have imagined this life uh, as being the realisation of getting to the, to the point where they do what they do as the realisation of a dream. And so any questions or doubts that they ha then have when they arrive at that point, they, they can easily convince themselves that they are being 
treasonous or ungrateful themselves, you know, and they think of their friends who might work in and in any and, and you hear this phrase all the time from professional musicians, friends who have proper jobs, you know, and whether you know whether that's working as an insurance clerk or a bank manager or whether it's you know. Uh, what used to be called a muck job, whether you're filleting chickens for a living is the one I always say. And so they don't, in my experience, quite have the, 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 the skills set, the vocabulary. I've got a cat meowing here. Just let me love let it. Me no, I love it. It is, but I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and you're always doing it. He's, he does it every time. Every time I have something on Zoom, he does it. Oh, cat breaks are okay. It's, cat breaks are totally fine. <laughs> it's International Black Cat Appreciation Day today, and he is a black cat. Oh, so I it's it's your mind. I yeah, and they're, and, and they're sort of. I guess what I'm saying, fellas, is that musicians are, are, are often persuade themselves that it's their complaints or their grievances or the damage that they're doing to themselves in order to try and stay happy. Why aren't I happy? Why aren't I happy? Um, and I don't, and so because of that, I feel that if the book has done a service, it's that I am a writer and I'm a, and I'm not invested in this world uh, to be able to say, here's what I see, this is what I think is happening. And I don't think that I realised that at the time that I was writing it, but I have I, I have come to at least hope that, that, that that's one of its achievements. Job done. Job yeah. done, definitely. Um, here's a controversial opinion, Ian. Mm. Um, I'd love to know your thoughts on this before researching and getting into this book and after is um, do you feel like a lot of musicians, whether they enter into this role knowingly or they become this way over time, but my encounters with certain individuals and groups is that a lot of them don't take any kind of accountability or responsibility or for lack of a better phrase, don't quite know how to adult so well. And so they spend a lot of their life being chaperoned through every stage and there isn't really any, you know, self investment in the narrative and so i feel like a lot of them just become complacent in their lot uh, does this make sense and they don't have that agency in in affecting positive change in their life because they're so used to just being babysat i am i am um I, I think there is there is worth in that observation um but i think that the the game is rigged um Bands often become notable to the point where someone like me will write about them, either in their very late teens or more commonly in their very early 20s. So these are very young people. Um, the industry at a professional level encourages infantilization. So it's a little bit like saying, well, People don't have to have to eat, you know, snacks and sweets. Yet when you get to the checkout at the supermarket, there's a whole rack of them. Or people don't have to gamble, but every sporting event you watch, the players, the soccer players, the football players, depending on where you're listening, are wearing gambling adverts on the front of their shirts. 
and every commercial break is stuff full of people telling you to gamble. You don't have to do these things, but it's very extremely, you have to really have a sense of yourself, I think, to fight against it. And the bigger a band becomes, the more difficult it is, I, 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 I think. And you're right, there is the great cliche, of course, that you are you remain at the age at which you became famous. Now, famous is a slightly nebulous term now. Um, because you know, even if you take an enormous band, even if you say Muse, for example, we wouldn't necessarily really say that Matt Bellamy from Muse is famous. Would we would we would say that Chris Martin is famous. But the, the, the Muse's tour manager, when they arrive at an arena or a stadium, doesn't really want Matt Bellamy to go and explore the city and go and, you know, see a, a, a museum or, or catch an art house film or any of these other things. Um, and, 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 and Jesse referenced being on the road, which is where the bands earn their money now, you know, so the requirement to earn a living is it takes place on the road. Um, Jesse mentioned being on the road. In my experience, everything about the road is intense, um, including the boredom. And boredom is an enormous part of being on the road. That point from which you wake up, on the, usually on a tour bus, uh, to when you go on stage, your eyes and your mind are fixated to the point at which you go on stage. So although you might not have anything to do other than the sound check, that sort of specter of being on stage uh, hangs over you. And Jesse made an ex ex extremely uh, a brief and extremely, uh, to my mind, illuminative point that while you're out there on the road, life is going on at home, you know? A band is more than the people in the band. It's also the people in Jesse's life. If Jesse has a partner, there are, there are sacrifices all over the place to be made. And it is just, I'm not quite explaining this as well as I would like to. I'll be perfectly honest with you. But because the audience is is looking at the band and thinking, especially in that moment and at those moments when you're on stage, if it's a good night or even if it's just an okay night, you're thinking it makes it all worthwhile. You know, a band say, oh gosh, the time we're on stage makes it all worthwhile. The job makes perfect sense there. And, 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 and I'm as an audience member looking at it and thinking, wow, what an amazing thing to do. What a great thing to do. But like I said, um, musicians don't, I can't be expected to have the vocabulary to 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 really speak about the things that are that that are not only not great, but that are at, at their at their harshest extreme, corrosive, toxic, and really really damaging, and sometimes lethal. Actually, I think that's spot on. Oh well, bless you. I wondered, no, I, I wondered a bit, Jesse, to be honest. But <laughs> no, it's yeah, it it's. I have all these memories rushing through my head as I'm trying to be present because it, this is not a topic that's delved into with this amount of detail, um, especially by somebody who you said it, you know, an observer, someone who's mm. not on the tour bus, someone who's not 
because you're right. You know, I've had this discussion with my band. I've had this discussion with other musicians, but the vocabulary isn't there. And there is a sense of um, even amongst us, just be grateful. Like, it's not that bad, dude. Have mm-hmm. a drink. We're going to play the show. We have a day off tomorrow. You'll be fine. Well, meanwhile, inside your head, the moment you close that curtain, you're in the bunk. Depression sets in. You wake up in the morning. You're supposed to enjoy a day off in Italy. And you, and all you want to do is stay in that bunk. Like mm-hmm. those little horror moments. And then back home, it's a fucking mess. And nobody mm-hmm. knows about it. But you can't can't complain about it because no one wants to fucking hear a right. quote unquote rock star complain about something that's wrong with them or the fact that they're dealing with addiction issues or you know it's funny too because you can get super lonely on a tour and you're surrounded by people at all times Mm -hmm. but sometimes that that's the loneliest feeling in the world when you're dealing with something that nobody knows about and you're surrounded by people and you feel like you can't talk about it right fucking sucks harder than just like saying it and having somebody may not even like handle it well but at least you can just come out and say it Mm. something i've worked really hard on but that type of agony that quiet agony is brutal and mm. you're right it can be mm. lethal it can be lethal mm. yeah. excellently put you mentioned the word rock star there jesse um in ian quote. in quotes <laughs> what do you perceive to be the media's role in elevating regular human beings musicians craftsmen to this level of deities and gods because it is partly the public and the media that put these people up on these pedestals that then I think warps their sense of reality in a way and finds it hard for themselves in their own engagement with the world around them to behave like that once upon a time humble normal person they once were because all of a sudden everybody is calling them this thing or that thing and elevating them to this abnormal level. you know, it's, we, we had a guy on the show a while back who had a book about how, you know, nowadays it, it is this idea that it's actual, you know, musicians that we've elevated to this role of gods and, you know, done a lot of damage both to them and then they in turn have done a lot of damage to the people around them, lost profits being a great case in point, which you explore in your book. Yeah. People get to the level that they think that they're beyond reprehension or punishment because they can do whatever they want because they're a rock star. I'll give you. A, I'll get. In order to tell a better, a, a give a better answer. I'll tell you. I'll tell you a story um, that's not in the book. Actually, it will be in the the, the postscript chapter very briefly. Um, uh, my wife woke me up one Saturday morning in March, and she came in and said Taylor Hawkins has died, and I went ten, nine, eight, seven, and the phone rang. And it was, I, I, it, I, I like the editor, so I'm, forgive me for not mentioning his, uh, their name. Uh, and I haven't in the book either. And they said to me, oh, we, would, you, would you like to write a 3,000 word piece about Taylor Hawkins? Uh, and I said, I will do this, um, but if details emerge of death by misadventure, in the time that because the deadline was was tuesday this is saturday morning and details had emerged did emerge in in that time scale uh that um if details emerge of misadventure i want to spend part of this piece saying 
that 50-year-olds dropping dead in hotel rooms is not normal. It's not normal. Another point uh, is that this has happened to Dave Grohl now twice, but Dave Grohl is not even the member of the Foo Fighters to whom this has happened the most often. Pat Smear, as the guitarist in The Germs and at the end of Nirvana's career, the guitarist in Nirvana, Darby Crash, Jesse, you will know this, Matt, you will know this, Darby Crash, the singer uh, in The Germs, the day before the assassination of John Lennon, knowingly died by suicide after taking a, 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 a enough heroin to kill four people. Mm. Um, in a, in a supposed suicide attack, uh, pact with his, his girlfriend. So Pat Smear has been in three bands that, this, that, that have had members that have either died by suicide or drug misadventure. He was also in a fourth band, whose name escapes me just now, whose singer also died from heroin, but he wasn't in the band at that time. So he's been in four bands and four fatalities. Um, so I, I raised the point about if, if we find out details of, of you know, what up about drugs, about things like that, I want to raise the point that uh, about structural problems within the music industry that are so profound that the drummer in feasibly the biggest rock band in the world, the most popular rock band in the world, certainly one of them, top, top, top tier, has fallen prey to it. And I could hear the silence on the line and the editor said, actually, we're kind of looking for something a bit more positive than that. We want it to be a celebration of his life. So in answer to your question, and, and I, I politely declined to, 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 to write the piece, uh, and so, yes, there is there is an example of the media's culpability. But even no matter how hard you fight against it, um, if I interview Jesse again and, and Killswitch Engage of have a, a new album out, um, or, or you've got, for example, you've 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 got the Metallica tour. Say you got the Metallica tour. My first question will be, might be, um, or are you excited about that this tour? Which is sort of framing things in that in that kind of in that kind of way. Are you excited? Which either invites you to say, yeah, yeah, I'm really excited. Which is the answer I expect. It's the answer the readers expect, and it's the, certainly the answer the editors expect because they kind of want to. to uh, continue this this notion that that everything about it is exciting and everyone's excited and it and it's great. Rather than and and what I should be asking you and what I am trying to train myself to ask is, how do you feel about being asked or, or given this opportunity? So it's now, not a leading I, question. Yeah, now I no longer say. I don't, if I even indeed if I ever did, but I no longer say. Wow, you got the you got the maiden tour. You must be so excited. Mm. But I say I, I might well say, are you excited? And Jesse might have the things going on that he spoke and he spoke about five minutes ago. As might well other any other musician, more musicians than you know of. 
So there is that kind of that that kind of uh, positioning of of questions and and everything's great. Everything's at least a four star album or a five star album. Every concert is great, and it, 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 there is a, a, a quite a vast, I think, disparity between. Um, the kind of razzmatazz of music journalism and the actuality of, of, of the musicians themselves. Just very quickly, because I know I've been answering this question for about 45 minutes. If you look at, if you look at, at when bands are really being honest about the struggles they were going through, they talk about it in the past tense. So they'll say, uh, the example I always give is an English, an English band called You Me at Six. Who are, who are popular over here and, 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 and certainly known in the United States. And it seemed to me that every album that they were promoting, they would talk about the album that preceded it and go, oh, yeah, we were falling apart then. We were at each other's throats. We were a mess. And then the writer would go, oh, yeah, but everything's fine now. And they would go, everything's fine now. And then the next album, the, just the story would be repeated, you know? And it just seems that, 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 and I don't know why. I honestly don't know why. I guess because bands are a bit like political parties, disunity doesn't, isn't quite acceptable. But again, the, the, the lack of, the lack of a vocabulary, and I include writers in this, there is a very thin line between um, music journalism and music PR. And I don't, I don't want to be a PR, but but you know things are set in place. I refer you back to the uh, the answer from uh, the, the the response to the editor saying, "Oh yeah, we were looking for something slightly more celebratory than that," and mm -hmm. that I think is the mindset: celebration all the time. And there's my cat. I love it. <laughs> I, love it. I love it. Makes me happy. It's funny, real quick, just on the cat thing. As we were all talking, my black cat came in and. The little studio I have here, the unfortunately the litter is in the corner. Oh my word. It left me a gift. So I've been enjoying Oh, that's it. good. That's <laughs> good. I actually have two black cats here oh, in, uh. with, with, with me. I've got Dev Scratch uh over here. <laughs> and I have Chuck Wagon. He's the noisy one over in the that's corner. Bro so brother and sister. So Wagon. there you go. Yeah. Yay, cats. Yeah. Um yeah, I think what you just said too is interesting because it's so subtle, right? It's something that you wouldn't even pick up on as a, as a sort of um, unless you were looking for it. Mm. The musicians are being led into continuing to promote that this lifestyle is just glamorous and everything's great. Mm. You know, and I I will say that there are moments that are absolutely incredible, and I've had oh. time in my life, and I've had these amazing little. Th but there's got to be a balance. It, it it can't be good all the time, and for people to expect it to be good all the time is just is beyond me. But mm. I think that's where. Um, substance abuse comes into play and i think that's another thing that is pushed um whether people realize it or not because in subtleties you know you, you're getting most bands get booze on a regular daily basis fresh oh. bottle of whatever you want fresh bottle, and then you, there are people constantly offering you cocaine and 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 other substances it's readily available to you you're already in an unstable position um and there are times where you've got boredom mixed with sadness 
and there's nothing to do. And what do you do? You're surrounded by booze and drugs and, and the excess that comes with inevitably with being a fairly successful band. Um, and it almost seems like they're just leading you to that. Like, it's almost like it's rigged to like, yeah, this type of lifestyle is fucked up. It's crazy. You're going to love it. And then you're going to come down from it. And when you're down from it, we've got all these things to help you get back up again. You know, mm. it's, it's the easy way out instead of like, you know, talking and going to therapy, which people still joke about, like musicians going to therapy and talking out their problems mm. when you could just get drunk and go do something stupid. And next day you're like, ah, that was fine. I'm fine. Dust yourself off and keep moving. It's kind of rigged to allow the self-destruction to be part of part of the lifestyle. It's and, just, that, and, yeah. that, and, and that is, cra is crazy, Jess. Uh, the, the, one of the sections that I actually cut from the from from bodies because i was sort of repeating myself at that point was a quote from uh, mine and matt's friend mr frank turner uh speaking on a podcast called bradley's house now but for anyone that doesn't know bradley's house you're gonna have to one of you's gonna have to help me here because i'm gonna forget the name bradley's house uh is named is run by the sister of the sublime singer who died from a oh, yeah. from a heroin overdose, and they uh, her charity, which is called Bradley's House. I feel very bad about having cut this section, but the book demanded it. Really, mm. um, she is establishing uh, a select a, a houses in, in around the San Diego Orange County area where musicians are able to go and clean up really for, for for free you know it's not private medicine um you know if it, it and and bradley died of a heroin overdose um i mean a massively successful band you know if memory serves correctly and i'm sure it does died of a heroin overdose it, you know it, it, seeking just to dispel the the quote-unquote glamour of this world I think this does it pretty effectively. He had a Dalmatian dog, uh, and he died in a uh, in a hotel room in San Francisco. And when he was found, the dog was sitting by the corpse crying, um, which is just such a heartbreaking image. So, so Bradley's sister um, runs a, hosts a podcast, and Frank was a guest on this his podcast, and I actually memorized this quote. And he said, for the entirety of my working life, I have existed in an environment in which alcohol is much more readily available than food. And if you drink it all, someone will bring you more. Okay. Mm. Uh, and I can think of maybe, maybe stand up comedy, maybe. I honestly can't think of, apart from that, any other industry where you get to your place of work, you get to your one of your offices, which is your dressing room, and it's stacked with beer and wine and liquor. And as Jesse alluded to, and I make the point in the introduction to the to the book, to, to in the in, in the introduction of bodies, if you want to go off piste, if you want to go to illicit substances, it's only usually somebody. Somebody will know somebody will know somebody who can help. And that is absolutely at its furthest remove. And I don't think that anyone is going to, you might want to hide it from your bandmates. You might want to, 
but no one is going to say, dude, no, that's not, that's not sens sensible. Um, and again, we're sort of going towards this infantilization of, of, of young people uh, who, who, who are struggling. It's like, well, this, they, this is how we'll deal with it. And it's just not sensible. And that's before we sort of even get into the uh, idealization of, 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 you know, the, the, the live fast ethos of rock and roll as well. Well, and also the absolute mistreatment of women, which you say in your book, that's not your book to write. That's not your story to explore. But, you know, that's just another huge component of the whole yeah. well, what system wanted, as well. What I wanted to do in that, when I was writing the book, I wanted it to, so it's quite a male book. Uh, and what I, because the world that I've written about is quite a male world. I wanted the stories to be within reach so I could at least write about them with authority i didn't want to drive the bus across town to write about problems in the hip-hop community for example um and one consequence of that is that the book tends towards uh men um not exclusively so there are there, are, uh, there is a female band in there but in one kind of self-contained section uh in the eighth chapter i sort of drop a bomb and that is exclusively devoted to, to, to females in the music industry. That I'm actually extremely proud of and was actually, I mean, honestly, this, no feature that's ever appeared in the New York Times has, has been as closely examined by lawyers. I was going to ask you about that because names are named. Names um, are named. And presumably they were allowed to be named. So um, what has the personal blowback being from from that if any or do no, you not give a shit I, I i couldn't care less i couldn't care less um i mean i don't I, I not not to be um uh i mean the section really only works if you've read the book because it, it, it's it, it's relevant to the world of, in which i write about um but the people who it's about sexualized abuse it's about sexual blackmail it's about sexual assault, actually, uh, and um, and and from which I sort of broaden it out to just briefly examine and uh, the, the the treatment of women and acknowledge that I do not know that I am born as a male in the in 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 this world. As a male writer, I do not have, the things that I've had to put up with are, are just not in any way comparable to things that would that a, a, a that a, 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 a female journalist a young female journalist who quote unquote may or may not be attractive um has to put up with and that was the point of that to acknowledge my privilege that's a, that's the phrase du jour but it's cor it's correct uh my privilege um uh and I'm very, I'm very proud of that 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 section. But I think perhaps, Matt, with your permission, it's best read rather than discussed. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, something I would love to ask you about because you mentioned the word privilege there. Your life is not without extreme pain and suffering, mm. uh, and you really lay it all on the line uh, in, in the story. Was the process of writing this book for you personally cathartic in any way? Was it? 
incredibly painful? Was it a little bit of both? Because you explore some very, you know, traumatic incidences from your life. uh, And you describe in great detail the places psychologically that that took you. Um, How was the actual process for you as a, you know, an individual of getting it off your chest and on paper? So the book, Matt, was a nightmare to write. And, um, but not for the reasons that you might imagine. Going back to the, uh, the, I think my first answer, I thought the only shot this book has got is if I make it as good, as as enjoyable to read as is possible. I'm aware when I talk about it that it sounds heavy and difficult. And I suppose parts of it are, but I also hope that in places it's funny too and kind of conversational. So the difficulty in it was the technique and and I improved as a writer. It was a bit like painting the Golden Gate Bridge. You start and by the time you finish painting it, you then need to start painting it again because the paint at the start of the bridge has started to corrode. And that was, so it took 11 drafts to get it up to code. And the f- I, I, I went out with my, um, my a, 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 not a character, he's a real person, but my friend who, who makes the odd appearance in the book, my friend Dan, and, uh, and I'd written half of the book and we went out. This is, I mean, it took, it took about 18 months farm to table to get done. And we went out a few days before Christmas, just before Johnson shut that Johnson's the British Prime Minister for our it was is was about not to be uh and, and Johnson was about to shut the country down so this is Christmas 2020 and it, and if you write in the book Matt you'll know this everyone says oh how's the book going and I said to to Dan we're at the Groucho Club by the way if anybody wants to point la di da yeah yeah he's the member not me right right I was uh, gonna say and um and for anyone that doesn't know, it's a media club in, in Soho, in central London. Uh, and um, and he said, oh, how's the book going? I said, actually, I, I filed half of the book to my editor today. I mean, it's really, really good. And funnily enough, it was actually really, really bad. It was allegedly awful book. So the difficulty was in making it a good book. And that I found a completely nightmarish, intense, but also oddly rewarding task. Even, and a lot of work. And But even when I sort of, you know, I'd start work at 10 a.m. every morning, music business hours, 10 a.m. And I'd write till six and I'd go running, have dinner with Ruth. She'd go to bed and I'd write till about 4 a.m. Uh, it helped that for entire swathes of this, London was closed. So that that was a big help. Um, and no matter how dispirited I was, each morning I woke up thinking, oh, great, I get to do this again. And that optimism might only last for five minutes, but nonetheless, that was my state of mind. Now, there are um, sections in the book that find me your hero in the book uh in terrible states of disrepair disarray um tragedy actually 
um, and behaving in a way that I realize now, and I think realized at the time, I was placing my life in danger. There's no question about that my life was in danger. Spells in hospital. And, and, and it's strange because it's not, uh, Matt, it's not, it's, this isn't an itemization of, of, of all the things that happened to me. It's just examples of things that happened to me. It's not, it, you, you know, if, uh, it, there were loads of, of, of things that, that happened to me, loads of stays in hospital, uh, or I'd wake up in hospital and not know how I got there. Um, but you can, it, it's, it's, it's not, it wasn't interesting to me as a writer to, to, to itemize all of those. So, I, it, you know, it, it, this, is, this is some of the worst things that ever happened to me. It's not all of them. Uh, I, and, and being in a psychiatric care facility. Now, the interesting thing about that, and there's a, a chapter involving the death of, of, of my father that's pivotal to, to my aspect of the story. Now, the thing, but the thing about those sections is that those sections are mine. Those belong to me. If I'm writing about, uh, for example, um, a, a member of Frightened Rabbit whose who's singer killed themselves, Grant Hutchinson from, from Frightened Rabbit, his brother Scott Hutchinson committed suicide. And he, he spoke to me for, the, for one of the book's darker chapters. Uh, that information is precious cargo. It's not up to me to kind of make that zip by or make it or crack a funny in there. I have a duty of care to that material. But if I'm in a psychiatric care, a psychiatric care facility for nine or 10 days, like Jack Nicholson in One Floor Over the Cuckoo's Nest, I can acknowledge the absurdity of that situation and make, I, I, it's difficult to say make jokes because that's not quite right, but write in a sort of comic tone in places because I can, it is my, this happened to me. If I want to mine comedy from that, I am at liberty to do so because it happened to me. So actually, apart from the technique uh, of getting the words down on the page correctly. Actually, that aspect was strangely liberating, Matt, and strangely easy because it was like a pressure valve for me as the writer because I could do with that stuff as I pleased. Yeah, it's, um, I'll be honest with you, they were my, my favorite parts of the book and I would have liked more of that. I understand that you were trying to tell the story you were trying to tell and you didn't just want to tell your story but they were the parts of the story for me that affected me the most um and, and you do write about it you underpin it with real humanity that does involve humor thank you um but yeah and you know if i know that in the book you don't really go into certain details of it but for the benefit of people um who haven't read the book at this stage you mentioned your dad there and the you know the really horrible circumstances of his passing mm. 
Uh, yeah, and th that's the only spoiler in the book, and that's the only sort of question. I mean, I mention in the like sort of on the third page that he's dead, uh, and I'm not going to tell you what happened because it lays in the center of the book. Um, and I don't, that's the only spoiler in the book, so that's the shortest answer you're going to get from me, Matt. Fair play, is that all right? Of course it is, man. Of course it is. Um, was there within your mind, do you think, malfunctions that existed before that event? Or absolutely. was that? Yeah, there was. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I have been attributed, uh, and I don't know if I quite make this clear enough in the book, uh, when I return to the diagnoses that have been applied to me. Which have, and I don't know, and I remember speaking to Jesse and you were talking about um, depression uh, and, and, and I think another, and, and, and another neurological, excuse me. Probably anxiety, anxiety. Okay. And, yeah. I, and I, I said to you, have you been, have you been formally assessed for that? And, and you said, no, that no. was my, and I don't know if since you have been, jesse or not but uh, the reason i mentioned that so the diagnoses that have variously been uh, attached to me uh, 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 post-traumatic stress disorder which is that will make sense if you read the book uh, uh rapid cycling uh, uh bipolar affective disorder i actually need to get the book here and tell you what they are because i've forgotten just give me a second here uh because um, yeah, here we go. A rapid cycling bipolar affective disorder, impulse control disorder, borderline personality disorder, and emotional dysregulation disorder, as well as PTSD. Now, here's what I see. That it seems to me that, that the field of mental health is a century or two behind the field of physical health. And a lot of this stuff is perhaps educated guesswork. This being said, the only diagnosis that I would say is absolutely nailed on, totally nailed on, is impulse control disorder. And I can just usually feel all of the time it's just something tugging at my sleeve. Uh and it wants to go faster. It wants life to speed up. Mm. Um, and this is gay, and which is why I think, Matt, that the two themes of the book or the two positions that I take in the book, one as 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 the the, the central part of the story, and one as 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 a journalist, as an observer. Um, work so well together because the music industry just gives you perfect cover for that, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. And it was, it was only when things were just spiraling totally out of control, totally out of control. And, and a features editor is hammering at the door, wondering where a piece is. And I answered the door 
uh, I, I got it wrong in the book. I thought I just had a T-shirt on and nothing else. Turns out I, I had a dressing gown on that was completely open. Broken glass all over the floor, feet, you know, badly cut. And still I'm saying to him, oh, I'll have the, the pieces three days later on a weekly magazine. That's a cover story. That's a big problem. And he's saying, look, I just need the recording so we can get someone else to write the story. I just need the tape. And I'm going, oh, mate, I'll get it for you tomorrow. And there's no way I can get it for him tomorrow. But it was only when life reached that point of complete chaos, complete chaos, that people noticed that it had gone beyond the kind of deranged parameters of the music industry. So that's why I thought that the two stories in the book, the two, you see what I'm, I've said that already, forgive me, me and writing about me and writing about, you know, people such as Jesse, that's why they work so well together. Because for the longest time, I, what I was doing was wildly celebrated and my stock actually rose in accordance with the stupidity of my behavior until it looked like I might die or I was weirding people out, you know? But isn't that it though? That's, that's, I mean, anything when it comes to artistic uh, jobs or we're talking media, I feel like the maniacal stuff, the dark stuff, the crazy stories, you'll never believe this. That shit is so celebrated. It's championed. It's like, you know, when you talk about the lifestyle of, you know, someone who's on the road, like the question I always get, which I never answer is like crazy. Tell us the craziest thing that happened. You know, like that kind of shit is so encouraged. And whether that's, you know, in journalism, you look at somebody like Hunter S. Thompson. People love the idea of that guy was just a fucking maniac. Well, you that's. That's, you don't want to hear about like some guy who like just did his job and went home and like ate dinner and went to bed. Like you don't want to hear about that. People want to hear the crazy shit. So that stuff is always championed, whether it's music or journalism or whatever. Hey, well, if I could, if I could leap in right there, Jesse, if I may. But Hunter S. Thompson's a really great example. One, look how his life ended. I would say to people uh, espousing that idea. Secondly. I think pretty much everything that Hunter Thompson wrote after Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas should have been spiked. It just wasn't good enough. Mm. Uh, and which leads me to kind of to my larger point. I was reading a piece in The New Yorker uh, about Led Zeppelin. Now, I don't, I don't despite trying and trying and trying, I, I don't actually like Led Zeppelin. But the, the, the article made the point that the, the wilder and more deranged the, uh, the antics of the band became, the less interesting their music became, the mm. more ordinary the group became. So I think you can get away with this stuff. You can get away with, for example, Ozzy Osbourne, urinating on the Alamo, drunk in the middle of the afternoon, wearing his wife's clothes. Now, that's indubitably a great rock and roll story. <laughs> um, you can get away with that 
while making great music for a limited period of time, what would we say, four years, five years, after which you've got to make a choice uh, because you can either have the crazy stories or you can have the great music, but you can't have both of them. And that yeah. would be, that would be the problem being, of course, that the, as Jesse alluded to, people have already become uh, conditioned to the contours of the music industry. So it is booze in the dressing room and so on and so forth. But you can only, you can only, what something has got to give. Either life has got to change or the music gets worse. That, in my experience, that's what happens. I think that's fairly accurate. Yeah. Right. Thank you. <laughs> were you still working in, were you writing when you were, you know, in the peak levels of insanity? Because that's uh, the one thing I was kind of trying to work out was like, how is this guy surviving? Well, I looked, well, first of all, so financially surviving, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well, when my father died, uh, I got half of his estate, which wasn't a life-changing amount of money, but it was certainly, you know, tens of thousands of pounds, um, which is all gone. Uh, and myself and uh, mine and your friend Paul Brannigan, uh, Matt, wrote a couple of books together for which we were paid quite a lot of money. Um, and even I couldn't shovel all that up my nose in one go. So I, 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 had, I had that. Um, no, uh, it, it, I was writing... So I was writing really only for Kerrang! at that point. I'm now a broadsheet superstar. And a, Killing know, it in the game. A literary giant, yeah. But, well, but this, that, this is what, just very quickly, you express very clearly in the book as well, is for you, as much as you do love music and, you know, you love music, the writing has always seemed to have been what comes first and foremost with you is the craft of writing and storytelling. Yeah, yeah. When, when, I, when I, I wanted to be a music journalist from when I was 14 years old, and... It, Thinking back, I don't. I don't think I was particularly aware of the 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 idea of meeting these bands, the bands that I I like. I wanted to be part of the music journalism game, and I wanted to appear on the page. And it's always been about the writing for me. Beware music journalists that are that are failed rock stars. Get you know, <laughs> but just beware of them. Um, so yeah, so you know, a, a, a around that time, if I could pull myself together for a day to write a cover story, that would give me six days with which to make mischief, or maybe not. It came in waves, but the waves got bigger, bigger, and wilder and wilder, and then for a good couple of years. Uh, I was unemployable. But then what happened was that I wrote the book that we came in on, the, 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 a book called Smash, which is about punk rock going mainstream, uh, and earned some money writing that, certainly more money than I did writing bodies. Uh, by which point, oh, he's written a book, he's, you know, writing a book's hard. Uh, uh, you, you know, you can't knock you can't knock it off in an afternoon or in a week. Um, 
so that showed signaled to people that I was employable again and 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 from then I sort of regained my foothold first you know in in magazine journalism and and eventually in newspaper journalism so uh, it was it was as recent as that it was as recent as coming out of smash because obviously you, yeah. you know you and I have only known each other a, a couple of years and yeah. I've never known you to be anything other than together um yeah and so it was a real eye-opener for me obviously i'd you know heard certain tales and stuff as everybody does when you're in these close-knit yeah. communities yeah. but our connection i'd like to think has always been very open and just based on mutual sure. respect and so i didn't know this side of you at all and reading about it in the book um was really moved to, to tears almost by the pain that you'd been through and you know just the the horrors that you'd endured and, and at the end what i loved without you know spoiler alert is when you find love at the end of the story and i you know know that the lady that is in your life is you know an angel of a woman and she's just come home she's lovely just come well ter turn the speaker up because yeah, i want yeah, yeah. i want i want her to hear this the, fa <laughs> the fact that somebody can lose it as much as you did and get to the level of despair that you did and come back from that and find this love that you have in your life and find true happiness and peace um was a very emotional part of the story for me and it made me really happy for you to know that after everything you've been through you know this is what you now have because god if anybody deserves it it's you my friend oh sure well that's a lovely Sorry. thing to say i could i mean i would have answered this question far better uh if she went on the other side of the door and she might actually just come <laughs> and slam the computer down she don't my wife doesn't enjoy being a public figure quite as much as i do uh <laughs> but yeah it's 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 nice to be and it, it here's what it is right it's nice to be ordinary because what I do and what you do, Matt, and certainly what you do, Jesse, is cool enough on its own, you know, without pushing it all the time, mm. I, I think. Um, at the weekend, uh, on Friday and Saturday, I have to have to. I, I I I I have been tasked with reviewing gorillas uh, in Victoria Park, and then on Saturday reviewing Chemical Brothers and Kraftwerk. Excuse me at, at Victoria Park. Victoria Park's a, a park in East London. You know, over the summer, uh, I, I went to see, on consecutive nights. I went to see Elvis Costello. I went to see Green Day and I went to see The Stones. And then on the fourth night, I reviewed The Eagles. Uh, and that was and that was four nights. And that's that's how I earned my living. Uh, and I love doing it, you know? And and so it's not a question of of Becoming a god, I'm, I'm even framing this now like a like a, even I. I don't mean even I, but I sound like I have been conditioned here. I don't think anyone. I, I, I guess my immature self would think, "Oh gosh, it's quite that's quite boring now. Your life's not as as if what I was doing to myself was fun or cool, mm. you know." And it, it just wasn't. But going to a gig 
and then writing about that gig or, or, or doing this. We're all at work here. You know, we're all working here, the three of us. If you can't look at that and think, well, what a, what a, what a lovely thing to be able to do. Not, I don't mean it's better than what anybody else does. People in bands don't think that what they do is better than anybody else does. But just for ourselves, this is a lovely, lovely thing to do. The idea that I would then need to push that a bit further and make it go faster mm. uh, is, is ridiculous. And I think I've learned to just be happy with the thing that I wanted to do in the first place, rather than the extra stuff that, uh, that I got involved with that, and that harmed me and it harmed being a writer because being a writer is all I ever wanted to be. I think that's accurate. I think anyone who's done something long enough and has matured into it can see it that way. I think for me, for example, tour used to be riddled with all kinds of crazy shit, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and now the joy of my life is getting up early, getting on a bicycle, going for a ride, getting a coffee, having breakfast, you know, uh, sound check, reading a book, you know, catching up with somebody on Zoom playing the show, crawling back into my bunk, watching a movie, maybe a glass of wine, maybe. And then that's it. And like yeah. that to me is happiness. Right. And it's so much more fulfilling than anything I used to do. And the fact that I would get up at like three in the afternoon, hungover, nauseous, anything I did the night before was worth nothing. And I spent hundreds of dollars for it. Yeah. It, it's, it's perspective shift. And it did bring me back around to the fact that oftentimes the best day best part of my day is the music is the show and that's enough like mm. you don't you don't you don't need all the other shit yeah because it doesn't fucking matter what matters is like why did i even get into this shit i didn't get mm. into it for all that other stuff i got it because i fucking love music i love connecting yeah. with people and i came yeah. back around to that finally in my older age and i'm happy because of it and and the remainder of your day on tour jesse i i imagine is for you now is making the day as pleasant and yeah. as temperate as 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 even yeah it's possible to be and as diverting and as enjoyable and yeah. then bam on stage bring it there you go people watching this is why you're here come off stage try and get back to that yeah exactly not not, not come off and like got to keep got to keep this feeling got to keep this and then suddenly it's 4 a.m., you know, and your nostrils are sore or, or you know, you're blind. And you're talking. I don't know what the swearing policy is. You're talking. Oh, no. Go ahead. You're, but you're talking garbage with people who, you know, none of you are your best in that sense. And like you said, you get up in the morning and, and it, it's just it just makes more sense. Once you're kind of able to acclimatize to that rhythm of of enjoying the, the the things that you hadn't thought to enjoy before it's just it's just it's just a better it's just a better way to be i think it is and i think you you know as you said um performance suffers you can be crazy 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 and you're gonna make shit music something's good you're gonna perform and i you know i did i performed like shit for a while right and now that I, I'm getting my sleep and I'm doing all the things, I'm a better singer. I'm a better mm. performer. I'm more present on stage because I'm not hammered. 
Yeah. You know, that was a big thing for me too, was learning how to like meditate and breathe and not have to take shots before I go on stage. Like, you know, I still drink moderately, but I don't drink on stage for the most part, unless it's like the end of a week and we have a day or two off. I might yeah. have a little bit of a, but I'm present. So there's even more joy in the fact that I'm present because mm. I'm not doing all those extra things. And yeah. I think that comes with a lot of things, but you know, when you've gone through it and when you've hit rock bottom, you look back and you're like, I never want to be that way ever again. No, the, there's no joy in that. No. Mm. Do you feel happy. fairly confident in that, Ian? You're not somebody that has to, I mean, do you have to work at your sobriety? Is that a part of it? Or? No, no, not really. Um, I don't think that any of the substances that I poisoned myself with were, I think they were symptomatic of just a desire for, uh, my, my wife says that I'm quite an extreme person. And I, I recognize that totally. Um, and now I sort of, I, 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 I'm quite an extreme exerciser. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. They were, so they were just sort of uh, avenues. They, they, it was never quite the point. Uh, so no, actually I don't. And, 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 and it, it was strange when they were trying to figure out what was quote unquote wrong with me. Um, I would go to, I went to some AA meetings, uh, for example, and, and alcohol related courses, uh, here in Camden. Uh, and I would sit and listen to people who's, every waking moment was a conscious struggle not to drink and they would speak speak with real fear about how they were going to get through the day uh and i would think that's really um, that's really not my experience at all i've i've walked here uh, and passed literally eight pubs all of which are open and not consciously noticed the pubs or I've been to the supermarket and not even been really consciously aware that there's a huge section of booze in the corner. So my, uh, my dysfunction was different. It was sort of an unpredictability of behavior. And I would grab the nearest thing that was to hand and that would be alcohol for most part, uh, alcohol and cocaine. Um, but it, 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 that was never the, the, the cause and, and, and actually turning my back on them. Now, having said that, my uh, setup here, I'm trying to think of a better word than setup, but my setup here is, you know, I share a flat in London with my wife who doesn't find this stuff at all amusing. I will tell her my wife wouldn't find the Ozzy Osbourne urinating on the Alamo story in the slightest bit amusing. Um, so she doesn't, that, that stuff doesn't fly with her, you know? Um, so that's a, a really good, you know, uh, ring fence for me as well. Um, so that, that helps, but no, I, I don't, I, I find it remarkably easy. And like Jesse, I've learned to sort of, you know, and enjoy what I was missing 
writing late at night with a with a, a baseball game playing quietly and you know getting up in the morning and being completely fine you know not having to to face those kind of sometimes day long you know day, days long yeah. kind of recovery periods where your body has to repair itself mm. and it can only do that for so i mean i've been remarkably lucky that apart from a couple of scars here, I don't know why I'm laughing, uh, from falling over and breaking things, uh, I have no internal damage. So I'm clearly some kind of superhuman. But that could only go on for so long, you know. And then you start, you know, and then you're dead at 55. And, you know, you're, you're, you're dead in a hotel room in Bogota, you know, at, at 50 years old. Your body's your body's not immortal, so I, I got out at the right time. There's no doubt about that. But no, in answer to your question, Matt, uh, it's not that challenging. Amazing. I'm amazing, well, aren't I? You are, mate. You yeah. are. Your story. Your story's amazing. Your redemption is amazing. Um, the fact that you found an amazing woman who loves you the way Ruth does, and and the, you know the connection that you have is amazing. You talk about how your tastes in music and culture are so different and yet you can share these kiss arena shows together and you yeah. know, th there's great joy in that i think um and, and you know there's a couple of really sweet stories in the book that attest to that but yeah i just i'm really proud of you mate for getting through and coming out the other side and, and oh, documenting gosh. your experiences with the greater experiences and you know such an effective text that has obviously resonated with shit loads of people because i see all the you know the the praise and the great response it's getting and it's uh yeah it's it's awesome to see my friend it's lovely to be here matt it really is yeah and i'm i'm rooting for you man it's it's nice because you know i think of the the joke of that movie um uh it's escaping me right now where they call the music journalist the enemy um and i've always been at almost odds. famous there it is thank you yeah, the yeah. movie almost famous and it's funny because the moment I met you, I immediately was like, this guy's intense. But to me, like <laughs> you're you're the type of person that our world needs, especially now that you're doing what you're doing. It's it's great to have somebody who's passionate about the music that was always forthcoming with it. But also now to see you're using your powers for the greater good of all of us. I just I commend you on such a different level. And I. I can't wait to see what you do more moving in the future. And it's your energy is, is infectious and there's a, a craziness to you, but I love it. You're using your powers for good. And I'm, I'm super proud of you as well, my friend. Well, thank you. That means a lot. And, and congratulations on this endeavor. This is a, this is a great groove you've got going here between you both. Well, it means a lot coming from you, man. Yes. Appreciate that. All marbles in the groove. So, I mean, you know, I know you've got the paperback coming out, but what, what is next, Ian Winwood, for you? Not just in terms of career, but life. Is there anything left to do that you'd like to tick off the uh, old bucket list? I mean, I am. I mean, I am a writer, uh, and that's kind of all. I mean, I do love the sound of my own voice, obviously. Um, but I am, you know, Jesse used the phrase rock, "quote unquote" rock star, and with the quote unquotes. Uh, the place where I am closest to being that quote-unquote rock star is on the page. That's where I really strut, I think. Um, I'm not as convincing in real life. Um, 
So it has to be uh, on the page. The question now remains, uh, or the question increasingly needs addressing, as, as, as what am I going to write next? And the answer to that question is I truly do not know. I need something to occur to me where I give a damn about it as much as I do bodies, really. So I've sort of made a rod for my own back just a little bit there. It's a nice thing to have done. Um, but it's, Well, maybe you just mine deeper into this world. Well, yeah, may, maybe, maybe. Um, but again, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure. So I, in answer to your question, your, your, your listeners and your viewers don't need me to be umming and ahhing and, and internally ruminating for 10 minutes about what I might do next. So let me, let me. Um, let make me tea, a, make let tea. Me, You're going to make tea. Red, let me put a red pencil through all of this uh, and send it back from the editor in my brain and say the answer is I don't know, but it will definitely be something. Mm. Fair. Awesome. Yeah, man. Well, Bodies is out. Smash is out. What are the books you did with Paul? Are they both Metallica? Uh, I feel like those are, those are like the early Pantera albums. I prefer not to think about them. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I mean, they exist, but I, I don't want to promote them. Uh, yeah. Brannigan <laughs> <laughs> and I wrote a... Uh, a are you two still close? Yeah, yeah, very yeah. much. I don't I don't see him as much as, as, as I used to. Um, He lives literally a five minute walk up the street I know. Um, but yeah of course we are yeah he's he's you know he's changed his ways as well hasn't he and he's he's leading a lot more of a a saner life these days too yeah he is he is and he's he's a, a little bit reclusive um but yeah so I, we went to see bad religion so that was the last time i saw him uh went to see bad religion at the at the forum up in kentish town um so yeah always lovely to see him yeah i mean you two i just respect so much as writers you two are the guys for me like i don't have many people in the the journalistic field that i consider friends for whatever reason i don't know why but you and paul have always been people that i look up to and respect so it's a pleasure to know you my friend and this has been awesome so thank you for coming on the show thank you so much thank you um and thank you for writing and having that topic within it's important and it's it's refreshing I appreciate that that. that. that that's that's lovely to say. And the more the more from from people who who have boots on the ground in this world rather than being a fly on the wall as I am, that really makes it all worthwhile. It really does. So thank you, Jesse. Thank you, brother. Well, enjoy the rest of your uh, evening. I'm going to go exercise. It's my new love addiction. It. I love it. It's great. It's a healthy addiction, my friend. The, the torrential rain in London has stopped, so I, that's that's my window. Get it. Get All it. right, fellas. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.